And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is my crabby brother, Vince Amari. He's pinch-hitting for the tantalizing Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Orson Welles is our tour guide through Scotland Yard's Repository of Death on the Black Museum from 1952. But let's begin with back-to-back terror stories by Arch Obler from his 1962 horror LP, Drop Dead. This is Taking Papa Home, which stars B. Benaderet, and I'm Hungry. Take a listen. Uh, permit me now to try you out with one of my own favorite type of horrors. This is a sort that after it starts, pretty soon you just can't stand it and you want it to stop, but it doesn't stop, and when it stops, you're sorry that it stopped. Its title... Taking Papa Home. Early we roll along, roll along. <laughs> Will you quiet down? And don't pull at me. I'm driving. Really, Harold. Really, Harold. Really, Harold. Really, really, really. All right, all right. I suppose you have it coming. You've waited for your pension a long time. So? This is your night to howl. Oh, oh really, Harold? <laughs> All these years, I never realized you had it in you. I wish I could make a recording of this and play it for you tomorrow morning. You won't believe me when I tell you. Home, home on the range. Home is exactly yeah. where you're going, mister. Uh, mister me is going to... Buy his wife a new car out of the first pension check. Mm-hmm. Brand new car, mm-hmm. Mr. Me. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. One for each foot and a swimming pool to wash it in. <laughs> <laughs> With that company check, we'll be lucky to have steak once a month. <sighs> It'll be good to be together again, Harold. No more getting up at 7.30 and coming home so late. Mm-hmm. Ah, it'll be wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. I do wish we could get a new car. How oh, I hate to drive this one. Huh. My oh. goodness, we're at the railroad crossing already. Those miserable old gears. Oh, my goodness, on the track. On the track, on the track, on the Start, will you? Start? Start, start. Train. 
be? Oh, no. Harold, mm-hmm. wake up, Harold. There's mm-hmm. a train. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember. I lose the starter motor. I can't get it in gear. I can't. I can't. Harold, we gotta get out. Mm-hmm. Wake up. Wake up. We gotta mm-hmm. get out. I'm asleep. No. No, there's a train. You gotta get out, I'm Harold, asleep. for God's sake. Harold, please. I won't go without you. Harold, darling, please. Please get out of here, please, Harold. You gotta stay alive. Oh, you've worked so hard waiting for the day it isn't fair. Harold, please. The door's open. I, I can't lift you. You're too heavy. No, you weren't scared, were you? All right, to continue on our challenge in horror, let me try you with the psychotype. You know the sort of thing, sick horror. We see it in the motion picture theaters. The man stabs the girl through the shower curtains and the blood runs down the shower and the money runs into the box office and everyone is sicker in our sick world. You actually want to try out with some of this psychotype of horror? All right. Here is some of the sickest. Oh, how nice of you to come and visit me. I, I do not often have visitors here. We, we are so isolated here, you know. Oh, sit down, sit down, please. Do forgive me for, for being impolite. I'm, uh, I'm just about to have my evening meal. And I'm very hungry. Oh, you look surprised. <laughs> you do not see anything on the table? <laughs> well, wait until I get the box. Here it is. Yeah. Yes, here it is. Here it is. Ah. It, it is in this box that my meal is waiting. It is a, uh, how, how do you Americans say it, a, a package dinner? <laughs> now, if you will forgive me, I will begin. Ah, there we are. Oh, but why do you gasp? It's, it's, it's just the head of a young girl, a pretty young girl. And this all? Again, you are surprised, but it is, it is my very special saw. I have to work for my meals. Cutting through the bone is not easy. <laughs> Forgive me, I must begin. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You think I am psychotic. I'm not psychotic. I'm just hungry. I like to eat brains. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You think I am psychotic? I'm not psychotic. I'm just hungry. Oh, you are psychotic. I like to eat brains. 
Oh, boy, I tell you, Arch Oboy, he was a twisted dude, yeah. right? A little bit twisted. Yeah, he was, yeah. Um, taking Papa home, um, which, as you said, gives you that rundown feeling, right? Right. And then uh, I'm hungry. It does sound like Peter Laurie. It's not Peter Laurie, though. It's somebody it doing sounds a, like him. Uh, somebody doing a Peter Laurie. All right, in just a moment, we're going to tune into the Black Museum, but I do want to remind everyone listening about our Kickstarter program and we really and truly need your help. We are trying to save the series Bold Venture. All 78 episodes of Bold Venture starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall are sitting in a warehouse in perfect condition on 16-inch transcription discs that have never been played. This was produced by Frederick Ziv. These are his personal discs. I licensed the series. And we need to transfer the audio off of those discs. And to do that is not an uh, inexpensive proposition. They have to be professionally cleaned. Special equipment has to be used to make the transfer. So I am putting it all on a Kickstarter, asking our listeners to please help to uh, come up with enough funds to transfer those 78 shows. And then the people that pledge some funds towards it Get the episodes, all 78 episodes. Now, there is about 50 in circulation in different quality from good to pretty good, some poor. These will be pristine. When we do the transfer, it will be absolutely pristine quality, directly from unplayed master discs. So if you can help us, we'd really appreciate it, and you will get the episodes when you pledge. So if you'd like to... Help us save this series, Bold Venture, all 78, the complete run of Bold Venture with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Please go to our Kickstarter page. Just search Bold Venture Kickstarter. It'll take you right to the page. That's Bold Venture Kickstarter. Or go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. There will be a pop-up that says Bold Venture. Click it. Take you right to our Kickstarter page. Now, the way Kickstarter works... Whatever you pledge will not be charged to your card unless we hit our funding total. So if we don't hit our funding total, your money will never be charged to your credit card. So please go to Kickstarter, Bold Venture, and help us save the Bold Venture radio series. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Orson Welles stars in the Black Museum, so stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Hey, my crabby brother Vince. Do yes. you remember um, back in the probably 80s, maybe even 90s, when uh, Orson Welles used to guest uh, on Johnny Carson? He would come on Johnny Carson sometimes. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, once in a while, yeah. And um, I remember one time, and this is, I, I'm, I'm pretty positive I didn't dream this. He was on Johnny Carson's show. And he he loved magic. Orson Welles in, later in his life yeah, liked he did. To, to do magic, and he stopped the clocks in the studio. Like even the people that had watches in the audience, he did something and it stopped the clocks. Really? I, and I I'm pretty I don't sure remember that one. I'm pretty sure I'm not dreaming this. I wonder if any of our listeners remember this episode where Orson Welles was doing a magic trick on the Carson show and stopped watches. Um, well, if he did, that's pretty slick. Yeah, I'll say. Well, I'm going to look it up when we uh, play the uh, first portion yeah. here of, of Bold Venture. Uh, I mean, not Bold Venture, Black Museum. Black Museum was a show that Orson Welles hosted. It was produced by Harry Allen Towers um, for the BBC in 1951. It aired in 19... 19- 51 and 52 in the BBC and began airing on Mutual in the United States in 1952. And Orson Welles, who was living in London at the time, uh, hosted the show and he would walk through the Black Museum and he would pause at one of the exhibits and describe the objects that led to a tale of terror or a brutal, uh, or a brutal murder. And, um, there was a couple of shows like this back then. Whitehall 1212 was similar. But to Orson Welles, there's nobody better. I mean, he was amazing, you know, at everything he did on radio and in the movies and even on TV. This is called The Door Key. We'll hear how it leads to a murder. Uh, Orson Welles starring now in this 1952 broadcast of The Black Museum. This is Orson Welles speaking from London. stone structure on the Thames which houses Scotland Yard is a warehouse full of souvenirs where everyday objects a skipping rope, a glass an iron a stepladder all are touched by murder you take this key this was on the floor beside the body sir a door key, the kind that fits only one lock. But whose? Perhaps the murderer's, sir. Today, this key can be seen in the Black Museum. From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police... We bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. Now, the Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. (laughs) 
Well, here we are in the Black Museum, Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Here lies death, arranged neatly on the shelves and tables open to your view. Now, here's a spoon. It's a simple household spoon. Our murderer was meticulous. With this, he measured out a careful dose of poison. That oar up there on the wall, that was used by the stroke of a famous rowing aid at Henley. Later, it was used in anger, swung at a man who stood on the edge of a pier, stunning him. The man drowned in the Thames very quickly. Ah, here we are. Here's the key. An ordinary key. The kind used to open most of the front doors in London. Once this key was in the pocket of a man who was waiting for another in his room at the Kingsley Arms Hotel in Surrey. Regan? Oh, I... I'm sorry. Excuse me, sir. I'll just turn the bed down. Uh, certainly. I'm waiting for Mr. Regan. You don't happen to know what time he'll be back, do you? No, sir, but if you wait here, you're sure to catch him. Thanks, I will. I particularly want to see him. The conversation lapsed. The visitor sat down again. The maid completed her work and left, stealing a glance at the young man as she closed the door behind her. Night fell. Lights came on in the guest bedrooms. But in one room, the number on the door was 22. A man sat alone in the darkness, waiting. The night passed, and morning came. In the hotel, there were beds to be made, rooms to tidy. No answer from room 22. The maid was pleased her work could be accomplished without interruption. She was thinking of this as she opened the door. Stepped in, the bed was unused, turned down just as she'd left it. Sunlight was flooding through the two windows. And on the floor, a man lay dead. <laughs> the manager called the police. The police requested the assistance of Scotland Yard and Inspector Sidney Russell and Detective Sergeant Hobbs were sent down to Surrey. This is the room, sir, number 22. Has anyone been in there since the maid found the body? No one, Inspector, except myself and the local police sergeant. On his orders, I kept the room locked. Good, man. There you are. Thank you. I'll let you know when we need you, sir. The two detectives covered the room, and in their quick survey of the murder scene, they found several leads. His wallet, sir. Let's have a look at the identity card, Sergeant. There you are, sir. Hmm. Name's Thomas Regan. What else have you got there, Sergeant? Uh, roll a note, sir. The killer either missed that, or the motive wasn't robbery. Oh, I don't think it was robbery, sir. His watch is still on his wrist. Going? No, sir. It stopped at 7.25. That might have been the time the murder took place, though on the other hand, the watch might have run down this morning. He was shot through the head, sir. Surely somebody must have heard that. You would think so? Well, here's a shell I found on the carpet. Hmm. Point 22. We'll keep this for ballistics. What else, Sergeant? Oh, some silver taken from his trouser pocket, a handkerchief with the initials... Initials T.R. in the corner and a cigarette lighter. With the initials T.R. Hmm. He's well labeled. And uh, this was on the floor beside the body, sir. The door key. The kind that fits only one lock. But whose? Perhaps the murderer, sir? Unless it belonged to Regan himself. Oh, it's not the kind they use in hotels. No. 
Was he wearing or carrying a keychain? No, sir. Then the key would have been carried in his pocket along with his money. Which hadn't been spilled onto the floor. You may be right, Sergeant, but to make absolutely sure, that key should be checked against every lock in Regan's home and his office and everywhere he might have occasion to visit. If it does not belong in any of those places, then it seems to me that when we find the door that key fits, we find the murderer. All right, it's the first portion of the Black Museum from 1952, the door key hosted by the great Orson Welles. And I was looking here. I can't find anything where he stopped clocks. So maybe I, uh, you know, maybe I dreamt that, right? Yeah, could, I'm thinking you probably be. did. But he did perform magic quite a bit on the Carson show. Yeah. And also on the Merv Griffin show. Um, remember the Merv Griffin show? Remember, he, he was great. He had all kinds of guests. Yeah, on Merv, Merv, Merv Griffin. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, um, yeah, so there's this, um, he did a lot of card tricks. You know what was his best trick, Orson well, well? How he could make food just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I remember he used to do those Palmasol wine commercials. Yeah. I will sell yeah. no, no wine, wine before it's time. Before it's time. Yeah. <laughs> remember? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Orson Welles. You know... He um he was so he was so ahead of his time. Yeah, he was. He really was. I mean, he was 22 years old when he was at his own radio show, the Mercury Theater on the Air, and then of course the War of the Worlds catapulted him. How old was he when he did that? The 20, War of the Worlds. Tw- I think uh, less than 23 years of age. Wow. All right, more of Hollywood 360 after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, this is Hollywood 360 across hundreds of radio stations, coast to coast, and... uh, 168 countries, American Forces Radio. So my brother's uh, crabby voice heard all over the place. Right? Oh, very good. You know, when I did the Twilight Zone radio dramas, and I there was always like, let's say, if I needed uh, one or two lines, and it was um, like a gruff guy or a tough guy, I would be like, hey, bro, I got a line for you. Yeah. With his tough guy. Gruffy voice. My favorite one was when the the, the guys came up from the the ground, uh, 
The resurrection. The oh, resurrection. Yeah. The was cowboy good. one. It was oh the resurrection. Yeah, I'm trying to think what that one was called. Yeah, again. I forget what it was called, but I was one of the Christopher McDonald started. I was it. one of the zombies that came out of the ground that I was came alive again. That was a great part. Yeah, <laughs> that was my favorite one. Those were good. And uh, you'll hear my crabby brother in a lot of the Twilight Zone radio dramas. Yeah. yeah, I'm in a couple dozen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're in more than you would think. Yeah. You're in a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, we're listening to Orson Welles uh, in the Black Museum. This is called The Door Key. Here's the conclusion. The detectives went downstairs to talk once more to the hotel manager. Inspector, this is a terrible business. Listen to those men in the bar. What about them? They're newspaper reporters. Oh, this is really dreadful. The notoriety, the reporters, the headlines. It'll ruin my business. It wasn't very nice for Mr. Regan, either. No, I I suppose not, poor devil. What can you tell us about him? Only that he was a commercial traveler. He's stayed here before? Several times. A traveler, eh? Did he work for any firm in particular, would you happen to know? Yes, I do know, because they always paid the hotel bills. He worked for a London firm, Hardy and Sons Limited. Thank you, sir. I'll leave the room upstairs locked until we have it photographed and checked for fingerprints. Oh, Inspector, there's one other thing I'd better mention. I think it's important. Yes? A man called to see Mr. Regan last night. Did you get a good look at him? I didn't see him at all, nor did the desk clerk. The maid found him waiting in room 22 when she came in to turn the bed down. Unusual, isn't it? Knowing Regan's room number? It suggests an acquaintance. Not necessarily, Inspector. Why do you say that? We have a register here in the foyer. It's on that wall over there. A room register? Yes, just a card opposite the room number. Some people don't bother with it, but Mr. Regan always put his card up. So that maid is the only one who saw this man? Yes, Inspector. Then I'd like to talk to her, sir. Oh, I'll go and get her for you. The hotel manager returned almost immediately with the maid. She was a young girl, very pale, her eyes still fearful from the sight she'd seen on the floor of room 22. Annie Mitchell, Inspector. How do you do, Annie? Uh, this is Inspector Russell from Scotland Yard. How do you do, sir? Annie, what time did you turn down the bed in room 22 last night? It was going on for six, sir. And I believe Mr. Regan was not in his room. No, sir, but there was a man there. Could you describe him to me? Well... He was tall, fairly young-looking, and dark hair. He spoke uh, educated-like. I see. What did he say? Just that he was waiting for Mr. Regan, and he particularly wanted to see him. Tell me, would you know this man if you saw him again? Yes, I think I would. The inspector was well satisfied, but Sergeant Hobbs, who had been questioning the guests, had not fared so well. Uh, Now, sir, I'm sorry to trouble you, but I have to ask you a few questions. Uh, Really, this is most annoying. I've been kept here all the morning, and it's extremely inconvenient. I quite understand, sir. Now, uh, can you tell me whether you heard any unusual noise or disturbance during the night? The only disturbance of which I'm aware is the disturbance created by the police this morning. You uh, didn't hear a shot, for instance? Certainly not. And you were in your room the whole evening? Yes. Can I go now? Yes, that'll be all. Uh, Thank you very much. Well? it's certainly not been a pleasure. It seems nobody heard a shot last night, sir. Nobody at all. Not a single guest, even those occupying adjoining rooms. That's funny. Anyway, I'm leaving you in charge here. The police surgeon will be arriving to carry out a post-mortem. All right, sir. Are you going back to London? Yes, I think the case winds up there. The next move is to London... 
to check that key against every lock in Mr. Regan's home and his office just to see if it fits. I'm uh, really sorry to bother you, ma'am, but I'd like to go right over the house, if you don't mind, trying the locks, and uh, if there are any cases or cupboards, etc., that I might miss, I'd be very pleased if you'd point them out to me. I've uh, come along to see if you can help me, sir, in connection with Mr. Regan. I want to know if there's any desk or a cupboard in his office or the office door itself, which has a lock for which this might be the key. I believe you've uh, a lock-up garage here, formerly rented by Mr. Regan. It must, of course, have a lock, and I'd be glad if you'd allow me to compare the lock with this. No, sir. I've checked every conceivable place connected with Regan, and the answer's the same everywhere. The key does not belong. Mm. In that case, we have our answer. Somewhere, someplace, Sergeant, there is a door, and behind that door we'll find the murderer. You know, if I was a philosopher, I would say that it's rather symbolic that we have a key to which we must fit the lock. Still, I'm not a philosopher, I'm a detective, and it's our job, Sergeant to find the lock, to find the door, and to find the murderer. And that's just what we're going to do, Sergeant. We're going to find the door that this key fits. In time, they were to find the door. By patient, methodical methods, they came to the front door of a small flat. The key fitted. The same key that could be seen today in the Black Museum. And now we continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Inspector Russell went back to London, certain that the crime had motive, and that the motive would only be found by a search into the habits and associations of Thomas Regan. His first call was to the offices of Hardy and Sons, Limited, where he was speedily ushered into the presence of the reigning Mr. Hardy. Come in, Inspector. Sit down. Thank you, sir. Shocking business. Now, who could have wanted to kill poor Regan? That's what we're trying to find out. Of course. Shocking. One of our best travelers. What do you know of his personal life, Mr. Hardy? I may be able to help you there, Inspector. I believe in taking an interest in my employees. I've uh, always encouraged them to bring their troubles to me. And Regan had troubles? Yes. He was a bachelor. Rather a gay one at times. I suspect he, uh, he was having trouble over a woman. Yes? A married woman. She kept on ringing up to speak to him. And the thing spread in the office. He was rather embarrassed and slightly worried about it all. Do you happen to know the woman's name, Mr. Hardy? I'm afraid I can't help you there, Inspector. Though, uh... Wait a minute. Yes? He did mention something. That's right. I've got it now. Uh, he didn't want to tell me her name. That's a pity. But in admitting she was married, he did tell me that her husband was a doctor on hospital duty. A doctor? Yes, and uh, one other thing I recollect. He mentioned her first name. It was Lindell. And I have information that the man we want to interview is young. That suggests a hospital intern. Yes, with a wife named Lindell. Hmm. 
Not very much to go on, Inspector. It might be quite a help. He never told you, I suppose, whether it was a London hospital or not? He never said so, but I'm quite sure it would be. At least the wife lives in London. What makes you think that? Well, the number of telephone calls that woman made to Regan. Nobody could afford that many trunk line calls. So they began in London, St. Bartholomew's Hospital. An intern or a young doctor whose wife's name is Lindon. The registrars of the big hospitals consulted their records, made special inquiries. St. Thomas's, Westminster, Guy's. Each one of them returned to shake his head. There are several hundred hospitals in the London area. Big general hospitals, small private nursing homes, special hospitals, children's hospitals, maternity infectious orthopedic hospitals. At the first 42, they drew a blank. Then, at the London Royal Hospital at last. A young intern whose wife's name's Lindell. That's a funny one, Inspector. It's all the information we have, Doctor. It's useless to ask, I suppose, whether you might have this man on your staff. But we do have him. What? Well, at any rate, one of our interns has a wife named Lindell, Dr. Bowen. Dr. Felix Bowen. I'll send for him, shall I? No, wait, Doctor. Could you give me some idea what this Dr. Bowen looks like? Yes, I think so. He's... He's young, 31, I, I think, uh, quite tall, uh, dark hair. Would you have his address here in your records, Doctor? Certainly. I'll, I'll get it for you, Inspector. Thank you. And shall I send for Dr. Byrne? No, I don't want to see him just now, and I don't want it known that any inquiries have been made about him. Uh, very well, you can depend on me. Is he in some kind of trouble? Nothing to worry about just yet, sir. Now, if you'll get me that address... Patients had paid off, the 43rd Hospital. Now, to interview Lindell Bowen... Inspector Russell went to the address he'd been given a small flat in a good residential district. The lock on the door fascinated him. The urge to try out the key in his pocket was almost overwhelming. But instead, he knocked. Mrs. Byrne? Yes? I'm Inspector Russell from Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? May I come in? Yes, of course. Thank you. She was young, an attractive woman, but her eyes were frightened. Mrs. Byrne, when did you last see Thomas Regan? Regan? Tom Thomas Regan? I think you know who I mean. But I don't, Inspector. I'm very sorry. Not at all, ma'am. Perhaps I'm mistaken. Well, of course, I've read about him in the papers. That is, if it's the same, Mr. Regan. It is the same. Mrs. Byrne, with your permission, I'd like to conduct a small experiment. Experiment? I, I don't understand, Inspector. It's quite simple. This key. Key? I'd like to try it in your front door. But I... Of course, if you choose to say no, then I won't be able to try it. You won't? But no, I, I also ought to warn you that I can return in a very short time with a warrant. All right. Try it. Thank you, Mrs. Byrne. I'll just open the door. And insert the key... The key turned, effortlessly and easily. Hope died in the woman's eyes. The inspector from the yard took out the key and closed the door again. And now, Mrs. Byrne, you and I are going to have a talk about Thomas Regan. That afternoon, several significant events took place. A gun was found beneath a pile of medical books. 
It was taken to Scotland Yard to the ballistics expert there. The gun checks up. That's a murder weapon right enough. Little wonder nobody heard the shot in the hotel. It's fitted with a silencer. A silencer. Evidence of premeditation. Late that afternoon, the record of its purchase was uncovered. The second significant event. The gun was bought at a shop in the Soho district, sir. A second-hand shop two weeks ago. By whom, Sergeant? The description covers Dr. Felix Bowen. And the proprietor says he could recognize the man if he saw him again. We'll give him that chance. Come on. Where to, sir? The hospital. To pick up Bowen. The third event was Bowen's flight across London. Somehow, in some way, the doctor learned of the net that was closing about him and made a run for it. He was gone when the detectives reached the London Royal Hospital. They drove to his home, but he wasn't there. Now across England, the vast network of police communications went into action. The teletype carried the news of the fugitive. Central to all stations, general alarm for one Dr. Felix Byrne, aged about 31, six feet tall, dark hair. Educated voice, quietly spoken, wanted on suspicion of murder. The search was on. In a thousand stations, vigilant eyes searched for Bowen. On the streets, on trains and buses, in restaurants and hotels. Within 24 hours, he was picked up. I, I really must insist. This is a terrible mistake. I really don't know what, what this is about. Uh, I'm sure you've got nothing to worry about, sir. Uh, just answer a few questions, that's all. Well, of course, I'm perfectly prepared to cooperate with the law. But I must insist on an explanation at once. Yes, yes, of course, sir. You see, unfortunately, your appearance coincides with the description of a man wanted by the police. It's oh? uh, just a routine matter, sir. Uh, if you'll give me some proof of your identity, we can clear the matter up in a few minutes. But I explained to the constable it... It's no longer compulsory to carry an identity card. Yes, I know that, sir. But before we release you, we must have proof of your identity. Yes, but how can I... Uh, you see, sir, we must be sure you're not the wanted man. But I told you already... Uh, now, Mr. Bowen. Yes? Yes. Dr. Bowen. Inspector Russell. This is Sergeant Thompson, sir. Hyatt. We've picked up a man who we believe is Dr. Felix Bowen. Hold him, Thompson. I'll be there in a matter of minutes. It was Bowen right enough. But if Inspector Russell hoped for an easy confession, he was disappointed. The doctor was defiant and tight-lipped. I know nothing, I tell you. Nothing whatever. This whole thing is an outrage. I must remind you, sir, that your wife has made certain admissions. My wife? What has she told you? That she and Regan were having a love affair. That you found out. And the day before last, you went down to Surrey to see Regan. You returned late that night. Did I? And under a pile of medical books in your bookcase, we found the gun you used. The game's up, Bowen. The game is never up, Inspector. Until it's lost. The evidence they had accumulated was impressive. But juries are cautious, and defense counsels are often very smart. There had to be no loopholes. There had to be complete corroborating evidence. I think we've got our man all right. 
The next thing is to prove it beyond all shadow of doubt. What's the uh, next move then, sir? Well, Sergeant, there's one person who got more than a passing glimpse of the murderer. Oh, you mean Annie, the maid at the hotel? Right. We'll see how Mr. Byrne fares on an identification parade. I have a feeling he won't fare too well. Now, Annie, I expect you've heard of an identification parade. Yes, sir. Like they have on the films. That's right, Annie, but this is not a film. This is the real thing. Before we go into the next room, I want to impress on you how important it is that you make no mistake. A man's life may depend on your judgment. So when you answer me, make sure, absolutely sure, beyond any shadow of doubt, the man you identify is the man you saw on the night of the murder. Yes, sir. Right, then. Now, in the next room, there are eight men. I want you to follow me into the room, take a good look at each of them, and see if you can pick out from amongst them the man you saw in room 22 waiting for Mr. Regan. Very well, sir. It's not the first gentleman. Nor the second. But this is the man, sir. That's a lie. Yes, and that's his voice. I'd know it anywhere. This is the man, Inspector. Well, Mr. Byrne, would you like to make a statement to us now? I have nothing to say, except that I doubt that the evidence of a silly maid is likely to give you a conviction, Inspector, whatever you may think. We're depending on more than that, Mr. Byrne. There are other witnesses, including a silent witness, a door key. That was careless of you, Mr. Byrne. Very careless indeed. Bourne was identified also by the owner of the second-hand shop as being the man who had bought the gun some two weeks before. With that, the case was complete. A door key had helped to find a murderer. And that self-same key can be seen today in the Black Museum. Now here in person is Orson Welles. Bowen killed the man who had stolen the affections of his wife. His was not a clever crime. It was premeditated, without a doubt, but clumsily conceived. For the young doctor was no student of the art of murder. Yet he might have escaped justice had not a key fallen from his pocket. A key which ultimately brought the police to his front door. And now, until we meet next time in this same place, and I tell you another story about the Black Museum, I remain, as always, obediently yours. The Black Museum, starring Austin Wells, is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attractions. The program is written by Creswick Jenkinson with music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. Very dramatic music there, Ambro. Yeah, very dramatic. The Black Museum, 1952, The Door Key, that starred Orson Welles and uh, produced by Harry Allen Towers with uh, Ira Marin 
as the writer and Sidney Torch as the composer conductor. He was too hot to handle. <laughs> Very hot to handle. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> the Black Museum. Hope you enjoyed that. And you know what Orson Welles enjoyed? A good buffet. A buffet. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, then it's more of Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Thanks, bro, for co-hosting oh, the show. Oh, you're welcome. Really appreciate Glad it. Good to, to see it. you, Vince. Yeah. Same here, Mike. Nice to see you. Next week, more Halloween shows. The Great Gildersleeve, Sherlock Holmes, Suspense, Our Miss Brooks, and Inner Sanctum Mystery. From my uh, Krabby brother, Vince, and from my great producer, Mike Bubblebath Costella, want to say uh, be safe out there. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we will see you next week. Visit our website, Hollywood360radio.com. Have a great week. Good night. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.